You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome, boys and girls, men and women, people of both genders. We are so pleased to have you back on our show. This is, of course, Distilling Theology. My name is Justin, joined by none other than my handsome, dashing, and wise Presbyterian friend, dear Blake. How are you, my buddy? Good, man. It is the Lord's Day, my dude. We don't usually record on the Lord's Day, so I am chuffed to bits, as you say, uh, that... Just got back from church, had an amazing sermon, got to fellowship with the saints. Um, we could talk a bit about that in a moment. But first, I'd like to remind folks that you have a couple days left for a chance to enter our latest giveaway. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, head over to distillingtheology.com slash giveaway by Friday, May 6th. That's this Friday. You're not going to want to miss it, guys, because thanks to Baker Publishing, we're able to have two Giveaway winners. The grand prize winner will receive a copy of Dr. Matthew Barrett's book, Simply Trinity, which we spoke with him about last week, and also his book, None Greater, on the Attributes of God. They make an amazing pairing, and we are pairing it with a pair of Distilling Theology Glencairn glasses. So you don't want to miss that one. And a second prize winner will also receive both books, and we're going to send you a DT quote mug. So get over there, guys. Enter for your chance to win by this Friday, May 6th at midnight Eastern Time. Don't miss out. Uh, because it's an awesome, it's an awesome giveaway. And frankly, I've read both of these books multiple times and they're excellent. Whether you're a lay person in the church, whether you're a seminary student, whether you're a pastor, whether you're like us and you're like an educated laity who's serving in the church, we all benefit from some doctrine of God. So, uh, that went the perfect length for that song. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it was great, but back to the Lord's day. Uh, how was, how was morning worship, dude? It was great, man. We, um, we we spoke. Um, the, the sermon was in Mark, and we we're talking about the resurrection, bro. Um, because guess what? As Christians, we don't only celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, what? <laughs> we celebrate it every day, and uh, and so it was great. When uh, <clears throat> whenever it gets to that part where it talks about, and the other disciple ran a little bit faster, I always chuckle to myself. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was good, and uh, we actually sung the Lord's Prayer this morning, mm. which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really cool. Um, well, good. Yeah, it was good. It was good, and it's a beautiful day outside. Um, Selah. My son and I spent the last couple of hours outside. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to go back outside before the sun goes down. Amen. Um, but yeah, how about you? How was your How was your Lord's Day? Dude, it was amazing. So my wife and I are going through... Um, a Sunday, a Sunday school class at our church. And today specifically, we were talking about some of the history of our church, which was just really amazing to learn, like from the beginning and in each era of this 
congregation. It has been so focused on serving the community, on bringing Christ to the nations, on going outside the walls of the church with the gospel and and frankly, you know, not not a post mill, you know, but with the positive effects of the church working out and and living out the evidence of our faith. You know, we we talk about good works, right? Good works are not salvific, but they're necessary. And as the church, we represent Christ to the world in how we love one another and also in our care for our neighbor. And so it's really cool to be a part of a church that has such a long heritage of that, um, as well as doctrinal faithfulness. And and to, to learn about that was just so encouraging and wonderful. Um, and then the sermon from 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses yeah. 13 through 16, about suffering for Christ and how Peter not only pulls from David in Psalm 34, which he wrote after the incident uh, in, I think, 1 Samuel 21, when he goes into Goliath's hometown with the sword and foams at the mouth and pretends to be crazy. Um, it's like after that incident, they believe that is when he wrote Psalm 34. And so it colors what Peter's talking about in terms of suffering and in quoting that. And then quoting from Isaiah chapter eight, where it says, honor Christ in your heart. Well, if you go back to Isaiah chapter eight, it talks about Yahweh, God, honor him in your heart. And so it's another one of those areas where the deity of Christ is affirmed by the apostles, even in like a a tangential way where it's not a, he's just pulling from the old Testament and applying the attributes of God directly to Christ because Christ is God. So it's super, super good, man. Like I was challenged and encouraged, um, both in terms of, Hey, look, like even in our little things, but also then for the Christians that are facing like death and persecution, these words, wherever we fall on that spectrum, these words should point us back to Christ. Yeah. Right. And he, sa- he says, yeah, you know, I, I wonder if Peter, he quoted a commentator, I don't remember who it was, but he said, I wonder if Peter had in mind the night that Christ was betrayed when he wrote these words, right? That is, he's saying right. when you're, when you're persecuted uh, for righteousness sake, right? Uh, don't, don't fear them and look to Christ and honor Christ and, he, and obey Christ, right? And, and he says, I wonder if he, if he had that in mind as well as when he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And he says, you crucified, right? Yeah. Right. This same man. And what was the difference? It was that Christ was with him and that he had courage and trust in the person and work of Christ. Um, so just really good, really encouraging, really challenging, and just deep depth for, for four verses. I love expository preaching, man. Just like mm-hmm. full send. Mm-hmm. So it was really good. Sang some amazing hymns with the church. Uh, and I'm excited today uh, that we get to taste something really special. This was sent in to us by one of our Patreons, one of our listeners. So, Andrew, thank you so much. I, I've been smelling this as we've been getting ready to record. It's and so good. I, I'm already sad that I only have about an ounce of a sample here. Yeah, I know. Because it just <laughs> smells amazing. Um, this spirit is Edredor 11, and it's Oloroso cask matured. Uh, this is cask number 302. It's bottled at 57.9% alcohol by volume or uh, I think 115.8 yep. proof. Um, it's 11 and, years old. Yeah. Andrew sent us some more notes. But before that, I, I looked up because I wanted to get the pronunciation right. I looked up a review and I don't know if any of you guys listen to whiskey reviewers. Um, one who I've listened to I, less so recently, but it, this video made me want to get back into it is uh, Ralphie. And this review, he's talking about Edredor 12. But he has this little comment here that's about a minute long that I just really enjoyed. Where he's saying, you know, some of us have have uh, we we get <laughs> so less we, we we don't go for like the mainline scotches as much, and and he talks about that here for about a minute. So I just want to play that 
for our entertainment because I think it's great. And then we'll jump into our tasting and, and get the rest of the notes from Andrew. Which you may find are offering, despite their prices, are offering a little bit less on your palate than they used to for a very simple reason. You are getting increasingly sophisticated. Well, Let amen. me reassure you, maltmates, you are no mere consumer. You are a customer. You are empowered. You are informed. You are enlightened. You are a cut above the average because you take a genuine long-term interest in quality spirits. You take extra time to discover them, explore them, engage with them and enjoy them. And at the end of it, you get that extra level of satisfaction from the experience that frankly, for many consumers, it goes over their head. I know I'm being elitist and I could be construed as being a snob. Frankly, I don't care. No. <laughs> this is... Well played. Edredur, single cask. Anyway, I just, I thought that was really beautiful. I really enjoyed mm. that. And and that was, that was awesome. I was like, that's the kind of Joel Osteen affirmation I can get after. <laughs> you are yeah. discerning. You have a... I, <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not good. I'm not godly. But you know what I am? I'm a, a whiskey snob. And, and that's okay. So, yeah, enjoy. We may not want some chronological snobbery, but we can do some uh, whiskatological snob. I'm going to stop. Whiskatological. Tell, tell us a little bit about the distillery from our boy Andrew before I yeah, derail so, this entire So, Andrew thing. sent us some of these notes. Uh, Edredor is one of the smallest distilleries in Scotland, an independently owned farm distillery right in central Scotland in Pitlochry. I'm sure I butchered that. That's what um, we do here. Only we butcher produces- quotes and names. <laughs> It only produces two barrels, uh, possibly, I guess, it may have recently increased a little bit, um, but it, it, at the time it was producing about two barrels of whiskey a day. Um, it runs very small stills. It makes very a very heavy, dirty spirit. <laughs> uh, 11 months of the year, it's uh, it makes unpeated, and one month it makes heavily peated, called Belection. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't listen. <laughs> the bottle is drawn from a single Orlo, uh, Oloroso sherry cask and selected by Specs in Texas. America. It was fully matured all 11 years in a very active first fill cask. Yep. Okay. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, apparently, its heavier oil, oily spirit goes very well with sherry casks, usually retaining some of its yeasty, oily, earthy flavor. Combined with the big Oloroso notes of raisin, spice, and dark chocolate, of course. Um, and he says, expect big, in-your-face flavor, dry and bold flavor that is much more developed than a typical 10 to 12-year malt. And uh, yeah, that's what he's got here. So basically, um, I don't know this is the Paul Washer of whiskey. <laughs> anyway, I'll be here yes. all week, folks. Uh, yes. I'm so, so excited. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, what, what are you smelling, dude? We've been smelling this now for a while. What are you smelling on the nose? So those sherry notes are obviously the first thing out of the gate, right? Those raisins and dates, um, molasses, cocoa. Um, it's very rich and indulgent and heavy. And I know there's other stuff in it, but that's just what is like hitting me in the face. It's very unsubtle yeah. in that regard. Uh, cherries. Um, yep. Almost like dark rum, uh, fruitcake. Yeah. Brown sugar. Yeah. It's just, 
it reminds me somewhat of when I visited you recently and we drank Stag Junior, but the mm-hmm. refined Scotch version. So it, it's not as aggressive or like it's not like getting hit in the face um, with the smell, but it's it's a similar like heavy, rich, dark notes that are happening here. It, I'm getting some banana bread. Ooh, like fresh baked, like you open up the yep. oven and that and it wafts yep. through Boom. the kitchen. Wafts there it through is. the air. Mm-hmm. This is very technical uh, <laughs> precision here. Um, oh man yeah it's just it's it's i haven't gotten to the palate yet so i can't say how it drinks but it um showing off this glass a little bit here oh yeah show the patrons patrons yeah uh we're showing off our new glassware for patreons which we'll talk about at the end of the episode so uh stay tuned there's your little teaser but um the the smell reminds me like the way that the smell is is kind of going through the through the sinuses reminds me of the like silky sensation when you drink a whiskey i don't know like i'm i don't really know how to articulate that but it has like a silky smell in the sense of it's just very smooth and almost i don't know i'm i'm you, you know when you smell something and it's got a very harsh pungent or it's very strong yeah or it doesn't really smell like anything this smells like a lot but it's very gentle and smooth and like yeah silky. it smells creamy yeah there's also ooh, i just got like a like a bright maybe it's the cherries but there was something on the brighter fruit end not quite citrus so not not orange peel or grapefruit but it was like on that brighter end on that last note i just took a, a smell Ooh, okay i I've, i'm ready to taste yeah, let's, it let's, let's dive in please. let's do this thing cheers So that's lighter than I expected. <clears throat> the alcohol definitely kick is got definitely that, there though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's definitely a, a cask. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's it's very strong, but in 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 a in a kind of light and um vibrant way. It's Vibrant's not like a very good word for it, yeah. Yeah, it's not heavy, it's not thick. Um I, you definitely get you, you definitely get some of that sugary sweetness. So say I get like molasses through the sides, mm-hmm. and then that bright. There's a um, brighter fruit note though. It's not quite citrus. No, I think it's. I think it might just be the cherries and, and raisins, kind of, because uh, they're not like they're not heavy or overwhelming. Yeah, but they're definitely they're definitely there everywhere. Yeah. Um. Maybe some apple or caramel. Maybe yeah. that's what you're getting. I could see that. That finish is, also brings up a lot of baking spice that wasn't there on the nose on the first go. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that um, cinnamon and clove, maybe a little bit of cardamom, like that's all kind of coming up at the end there. It's very warming, which makes sense with a higher proof, you know, overproof spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm almost getting figs and even some oak mm-hmm. on that second sip there. Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's phenomenal that's really good that's really good i'm so sad i only have an ounce <laughs> i'm <Right>. so sad <laughs> yeah that's that is horribly disappointing <laughs> so good but you know what sometimes uh we're, we're, we're limited in our time and in our tasting opportunities but that's okay because uh hey we've gotten a taste I, I, we've probably tasted more on the show than most people will in their lifetime that is true i was saying that to somebody <laughs> the other day because they were asking me for a whiskey recommendation and i was like well 
like between the, <laughs> yeah. the actual main podcast episodes we've recorded episodes that haven't been released and then patreon exclusive streams alone and then just our own drinking experience oh yeah well i was just gonna say just the show is probably yeah. about 100 bottles even though this is yeah. episode 89 probably 100 yeah. different unique distinct things that i've tried and mm-hmm. then that doesn't even count all the stuff i tasted when i worked at the speakeasy so right or stuff that I've tried my own. So yeah, probably a couple hundred bottle, different distinct bottles of distilled spirits, which is really amazing. Like my brain, this reminds me of a stronger, richer version of like Glendronic 12. It's because of that sherry cask, right? It's got the, it's yeah, got similar yeah, yeah, yeah. profile, but this is more molassesy, more brown sugar, but the brighter sherry notes are the same or similar, you know, but, it, but it's more concentrated because you're at a higher proof. Um, it's just fun though, to have all those connections and, and like the Ralphie clip said, like, you know, you're, you're, right. you're who cares if people think you're a whiskey snob? Like if you enjoy it, who cares? It's like the theology gladly stuff. be a whiskey snob. Right. Well, it's like, if I'm going to spend this much money or, or if I'm going to drink something this high proof, I want to enjoy it. I'm not drinking this to get drunk. Like if, if people were drinking this for the sake of getting drunk, that would be very foolish. Like you could go buy something very cheap and get the alcohol effect if that's what you're after. But on this show... Obviously, we're Christians, so we reject drunkenness. We say, Mm -hmm. don't be drunk. But we also recognize the good gift of the Lord and say, well, there's delicious things happening here. And we want to celebrate that and enjoy that together. And ultimately, right? Amen. We come around it and it's it's just like getting together over coffee to talk about theology. And I'm so excited for today because we're back in the book of Romans (laughs) and it's a, it's a, it's a big chapter today. Um, but before we do that, let's open in prayer. Let's come to the Lord, uh, confess our sins and our need of a savior. And we're in the Valley of Vision published by Banner of Truth. And this is page 144. The prayer is titled Mortification. O divine lawgiver, I take shame to myself for open violations of thy law, for my secret faults, my omissions of duty my unprofitable attendance upon means of grace, my carnality in worshiping thee, and all the sins of my holy things. My iniquities are increased over my head. My trespasses are known in the heavens, and there Christ is gone also, my advocate with the Father, my propitiation for sins, and I hear his word of peace. At present, it is a day of small things with me. I have light enough to see my darkness, sensibility enough to feel the hardness of my heart, spirituality enough to mourn my want of a heavenly mind. But I might have had more. I ought to have had more. I have never been straightened in thee. Thou hast always placed before me an infinite fullness, and I have not taken it. I can and bewail my deficiencies and backslidings. I mourn my numberless failures, my incorrigibility under rebukes, my want of profiting under ordinances of mercy, my neglect of opportunities for usefulness. It is not with me as in months past. Oh, recall to me thyself and enable me to feel my first Love, may my improvements correspond with my privileges. May my will accept the decisions of my judgment. My choice be that which conscience approves. 
and may I never condemn myself in the things I allow. Ooh. Mm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> the mortification of sin, friends. Bro, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And speaking of killing sin and sin killing us, uh, what are we reading today, Justin? Just <laughs> some, some light, casual discussion. Yeah, just some casual, uh, light uh, reading uh, Romans oh, no. 3 oh, good. on the righteousness of Ooh. God. <laughs> let's let's um, read the whole chapter and then go back through in sections. I think that'll be the way to approach it. Okay. Do you want to read uh, that first half and then I'll pick up 21 to 31 and read the last half? Yeah. Sounds good. And then we'll just go back to the top and <clears throat> commentate. <laughs> All right, Romans 3. This is the English Standard Version for those of you who um, may read along. Uh, So if your reads differently, that might be why. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone a liar, (laughs) as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Um, Wow. Yeah, I'm going to keep going, but wow. Yeah, we'll we'll be back. (laughs) But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I speak in a human way, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds in his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already changed that all, or charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Looking at you, seeker-sensitive churches. All that have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Picking up in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So there's a lot here. And I don't know if we're going to get yeah. through all of it today. But I did, I did want to read the whole passage because I wanted us to have that con- context. And, and we'll just go at the top and we'll get as far as we can go. We're about 25 minutes into this recording. So, you know, we'll, we'll go as far as we can go. <clears throat> so back to the top of it. With all that in mind, right? And our mm-hmm. previous conversation about Romans 1 and 2. What stands out yeah. to you right at the beginning here in those first couple verses of chapter three? Well, I, I like that he he starts off by distinguishing that there is some advantage in being a Jew, ethnically speaking, yeah. right? Um, the Jews, much like the church uh, now, uh, have been given a particular responsibility, right? They've been given the oracles of God. That's a big deal. But because of that, they're held further responsible because they have no excuse, right? The pagans... Although they have no excuse, have have more excuses than than the than the Jews do, mm-hmm. who've been given right the scriptures. They've been given doctrine. They've been given interaction with God, mm. right? So they know who God is, and if they're faithless, right, then then the burden is on them. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, but but. Yeah, he, he says, I like what he says when he says that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged, right? That uh, fo- following that everyone be a liar as compared to God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, um, because God is just and God can judge because God is God. And, and it doesn't matter uh, if we are faithful or faithless. It does not change God's faithfulness, which frankly, by the way, is why we have assurance of our pardon, right? Mm-hmm. Because God is faithless despite our failings, despite our faithlessness. Right. right. And that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged, right? If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? By no means, but, but aren't these the argument? Like, that's the thing is people, like people, you know, going back to Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. All of these arguments, whether, you know, they they come in new forms, right? There there was one form at the time of Paul. There was one form uh, around the time of Augustine. When you're talking about Augustine and Pelagius, there was one form at the time of the Reformation. There was a form of argument in the Enlightenment. There's a form... Mm -hmm of argumentation in the modern era and post-modernity and our current culture, but it's the same questions. It's the same arguments. God is unrighteous to inflict his wrath upon us. How many times do do people say that this day and age? But Paul says, (laughs) you know, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? (laughs) <laughs> and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying. 
Right. We we see this question repeated in Romans nine, by the way. Oh yeah. Right. So we'll we'll hang on that a little bit more in a couple months when we get to Romans nine. Um but at the same time, right, like these these I, I point that out just to say we we're not as clever as we think we are in our arguments against the doctrines of scripture. Like yeah. the apostles already and Jesus and the prophets already knew these arguments because they've just been regurgitated by those who hate the Lord forever. Right. <laughs> so th- 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 there's nothing new, right? Um, and then, yeah, going on in verse nine, what then are the Jews any better off? Not at all. Right. Which is interesting because he starts off by distinguishing the fact that the Jews have an advantage and that they're uh-huh. given the oracles of God yep. and then follows it up and says, but you're not any better off because right. everybody's under sin. Mm-hmm. So rather than allowing them to be filled with pride at the fact that God has chosen them as his people. Right. Right. He immediately humbles them and says, you're no better off because you're still a sinner. Mm-hmm. You're no better off than the pagans are. Right. So, I, I, I mean, I, I think <laughs> this is, this is kind of a, an askew jump here, but I think a lot of the modern church would do well to reread this because especially the dispensationalists who are hyper obsessed with ethnic Israel, right? <laughs> Just, throwing that out there um this could be potentially helpful as far as understanding um the relationship between uh ethnic and spiritual israel and uh the rest of us (laughs) so anyway yeah but then he carries on right he says no one is righteous and then he hammers that point home over and over and over again right jews and greeks doesn't matter we're all under sin and then and then it now Compare this to what we hear from the modern pulpits, right? Oh, Where everybody's trying to be gentle and kind, right? He says, altogether they've become worthless, right? Their throat is an open grave. There's venom in their lips, right? Their mouth is full of curses. They're swift to shed blood. They're, in their paths is ruin and misery. Mm-hmm. They don't know peace. They have no fear of God. Uh, that doesn't sound very nice. No. Um, <laughs> no. But... but you know, this is why a lot of the progressive churches separated themselves from Paul, right? Mm-hmm. They say, oh, we we listen to Jesus and not Paul as if there's some, um, <laughs> some, some distinction to be had there as far as value and authority. But yeah, um, but yeah because, because uh, I forget who it was. I think it might have been, might have been one of the, 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 the fathers of progressive Christianity said that, um, that if, you, Paul ruins the New Testament. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Where I'm like, Romans like crystallizes everything else together in such a beautiful way. Yeah. And it's such a good distillation of the New Testament. If we didn't have any other parts of the New Testament and all we had was Romans. Right. E- even the first, you know, eight chapters of Romans, yeah. we would have everything we need to be saved. Right. We, we have the gospel. We have the reason for the gospel. Yes. We have the solution. I mean, we have it all right, right. in the first eight chapters of Romans. Right. Well, and it's it, we've talked about this before, right? It's it's exegesis of the text that is pointing us back to Christ. It's a Christocentric book. The whole book is not just Romans, mm-hmm. yeah, but especially Romans, right? And what we are running up against in the in the contemporary church with actual theological liberalism with progressive Christianity is narcissus, as you called it, right? It's yep. it's how yep. am I in this text? What does this mean about me? And again, that, that is not to negate the importance of a pastor expositing 
the use of the doctrine that they've that they've brought out of the text, right? We, that was the interview with James LaBelle, 43. The Puritans were masters of this. They would they would preach on doctrine, and then about half the sermon would be the use of that doctrine, the application for the Christian life. So I'm not saying yeah. application doesn't matter, but we have to put our application in light of looking to Christ, right? Like this this morning sermon, First Peter three. So often it's three, I think fifteen or sixteen, right? Uh, be ready to give a defense of the faith that is in you. That's what we always jump to. And my pastor was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna camp out at the first half of this verse about honoring Christ. Let, let's <laughs> yeah. let's hang here for a minute because yeah, we can pick out our little proof texts and verses about our whatever our pet thing is. But if we miss Christ through the through the verse, then we've 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 missed the plot. We've you, lost yeah, you've it. Missed it all. <laughs> we've we've <laughs> literally right. It's it's, and so even through all this, right? What is he doing? He's he's breaking down Jews and Gentiles alike in their pride, showing us we're all under the condemnation of the law. We are all guilty of sin. We are all by nature opposed to God. Right? We get to Ephesians, um, right? We were these sinners, but mm-hmm. we were washed. We were changed. Right. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And so here we see this indictment from the Psalms. No one is righteous. No, not one. That quote comes from Psalm 14. This is coming from Psalm 14.3, which is the Lexham English Bible. I'm in Logos Bible software. I'll just read from the top of 14. 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So in the context, and I, and I had someone bring this up to me when we were debating Calvinism and Arminianism, and I went to Romans 3, and they brought this up and they said, well, see, in, in the original context, David is talking about the Gentile nations, right? Uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of humankind to see whether there is one who has insight, one who cares about God. All have gone astray. They are altogether corrupt. There is not one who does good, not even one. Mm-hmm. And so starts there, but Paul, by apostolic authority, by the inspiration of the spirit, takes that verse that David was writing about the Gentile nations. And he says, what then are Jews any better off? No, not for we've already charged Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. And so he exposes the scripture to reveal, hey guys, by the way, David's, David's indictment of human nature here by inspiration of the spirit isn't just about those Gentiles over there. It's right. all of us. And so I think in the contemporary church, right, we could say, what are we, you know, I, I mean, you and I, Baptist, Presbyterian, we're going to have a different way of viewing this. But at the same time, we would agree here, right? Are we who are raised in the church any better off? No, because right. we're all under sin, right? There's benefits to being raised in the church, to being a part. And, and you know, this is part of the beef between Presby's and Baptists, but we would all agree there is some, like, I, I think, maybe I'm wrong here, but right, the, the child that grows up under sound preaching has so much more opportunity to yes. hear the gospel week after week, to have the oracles of God presented to them. Yeah. So how much more tragic well, when they reject this or right. how much glorious when they, re- when they embrace it. C- contrary to popular belief uh, about us Baptists, <laughs> is we do believe uh, in a distinction between a visible and invisible church. We do believe that there are those who, who, right. <laughs> who, who are right. I, we treat our children as Christian children uh, until they, until they grow into that faith and make a, a profession of it right um the repentance still must come right and and in order to join the covenant but the point is we, we're not going to treat them like pagans and yeah. you're absolutely right they have every opportunity uh and so the responsibility is there mm-hmm. 
um, for them to come to that faith as we teach them. Speaking of doctrinal use and application, right? And I I could be stretching here, but I don't think that's a stretch to to apply this directly into our contemporary situation. Sure. By recognizing, right? Because who now it's not an ethnic group; it is the church, right? It's it's the church that has these oracles, and yet we're not righteous. We don't understand. We don't seek after God until, right? And we get into this further in Romans, but until the Lord makes us alive to Christ, we don't have any desire for him. Right. Um, yeah, no one seeks, right. That, 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 that completely annihilates this whole movement uh-huh. that we've had in the States about the seeker sensitive thing, right. right? Making church appealing to people who are quote unquote seeking mm-hmm. because they, they, they're so close and they just need to be convinced, you know, by making church cool or by making right. it seem like the world, but then they come in and then they're like, hmm, gotcha. Have right. you heard of Jesus? Hey, check no. out our Lion um, King play on Sunday morning. <laughs> right. It's an actual thing I saw on Twitter. My wife showed me and no. I was like, I, she started no. playing it and my eyes glazed over and I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, <sighs> what is this? That's First painful. of all, if you're going to do, if you're going to like waste the Lord's day on pitiful entertainment and attempting at least do it good like don't like why you got to do it why you got to like violate the 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 beauty of the lord's day already by yeah, trying to entertain painful. people and then you and then you just do a poor job like <laughs> like not only fail. yeah it's, it's like you know obviously the the weightier issue there is is obviously right. like we're not preaching the word we're just trying to entertain people <laughs> it was the same church that did the uh, the avengers play mm. with mm. jesus tony stark it was so bad, bro. It, I thought it wasn't real, and then I looked it up, and I I was like, "Those were my good eyes." No one is righteous. No, not one. And this is evidence, right? But but to that point, no one seeks God, right? We have all turned aside, and they have they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And again, this uh, to to say this loudly and clearly. This does not negate the doctrine of Imago Dei. This, because of this, this is not an excuse to then turn around and hate our fellow man, our fellow image bearer, to, to revile them, to treat them as subhuman. That is not what this doctrine is teaching. It is simply an acknowledgement that before God, all are guilty of sin and, and worthy of eternal punishment, right? We are all yeah. in that state. That is, that is our baseline. And anything outside of that is grace, which is the point. But, but I just want to make that very loud and clear because I know people have used some of these things wrongly and sinfully to justify actively hating and and mistreating other human beings. And that is just absolutely vile and sinful because the Imago Dei is still happening through here. You know, we could talk about yeah. our boy, Helmus Abrakel, um, it's been a minute, and, uh, and others who have interesting and differing views on Imago Dei, but at the end of the day, they're still recognizing the dignity of human beings, even if they, right. they differ on that. And so that, that isn't right. lost here. But what's lost is any pretense that right. God owes us anything. And then he goes on to talk about the distinction, right, between the law and the gospel, essentially. Oh, man. Right. He says that the law, uh, we know that whatever the law says, it's speaking to those who are under the law. Well, you and I are no longer under the law. Mm. We're under grace. Amen. Right. But um, but the law exists in order to, to shut everybody up. Yes. Right. Basically saying, this is the law. Keep it. And if you can't, shut your mouth. Because you can't, right? And so the whole world is held accountable to God by that law. And then later in, in Romans, Paul, or might have been earlier in Romans, Paul talks about uh, how those who don't have the law still make laws for themselves, apply them to others, and don't don't abide by them. 
right? They don't abide by their own laws that they make that they make and impose on others. So they're still guilty, right? They're still they're still guilty. They're still breaking the law, even if their own uh, perverted ways has created perverted laws. They're they're violating those also. So everybody's held accountable, right? And the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight because we can't keep it, right? And right. the law exists. Uh, it was MacArthur who said the law exists to crush us, right? It exists, it says here, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Mm. And that ought to crush us. We ought to be crushed by the knowledge of sin. And that's what should put us on our knees pleading for repentance, yes. right? Begging God for forgiveness for our sin and to turn us and, and to draw us and to, and to make him, make us like him. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's a, that's a, the, the, the reason the law exists is, is right here. This is why the law exists. Well, and this is why, so this came up in the DT group this week. Speaking of Andrew, <clears throat> Andrew actually asked about this in DT. He asked about, can someone explain the Lordship salvation controversy? Hmm. Um, and we got a lot of responses. And so I want to react to that a little bit here because it's directly related to what we're talking about, right? <laughs> Yeet. <laughs> uh, right. Because what was the problem? MacArthur Listen, and- Guys, yeah. if you're on our Facebook group and you post, you are subject to our criticism on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, I'm not going to call anybody out, but but <laughs> I do want to point out something about this controversy, right? So, yeah. so what happened was there were some, anti, some actual antinomians, people who are anti-law, who say, well, it's all grace. And so there's no moral. You, 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 can, you can pray a prayer. And because God is sovereign, it doesn't matter if you do a single solitary good work as a result of your justification in Christ. There, there's no sanctification. Doesn't matter. Paul Washer intensifies. Right, right. And so so what happened was MacArthur and others wrote this document about lordship salvation and the idea that Christ must be Lord. And if he is Lord, like you have to make him... You, now, there were some a couple problems with this, but I'm going to fix it on the sanctification one because that's really where the crux of yeah. the issue is for me. I mean, yeah. there's other problems, but that's the one that just... Yeah, you're right. Tony calls it, uh, of Reformed Brotherhood, calls it gospel. <laughs> When you when you collapse the law and the gospel, and the other thing that happens <laughs> is the conflation of sanctification and justification. Justification, justification. Yep. is being made righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. Sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit through the life of the believer, of slowly conforming them to the image of Christ, mortifying sin, and increasing righteousness. Right, and that's a process. But part of the problem with lordship salvation, and there's a great video from John Moffat of Theocast on YouTube where he talks about this. If you search lordship salvation and Theocast, you'll find those videos. Part of the problem is the solution was, well, I need to be examining myself all the time and I need to look inside. And, and I, was, I was caught up in this. I wouldn't have called it lordship <coughs> salvation, but as a Unitarian, I was so mm -hmm. caught up in this. Like, I need to be looking at myself. I need to see, am I really serious? Am I, am I, it's time to get serious about my faith. Like, I need to make Christ Lord of everything. And uh, if, if I'm not like, really gritting my teeth and i i am lost basically you know and obviously the macarthur and the calvinistic baptists who who propagated some of this stuff wouldn't wouldn't go quite that far but it's kind of in the logical conclusion and the problem that moffat highlights yeah. here is, is a subtle one so we're not we're not talking about heresy we're talking about a subtle a subtle doctrinal error that puts undue weight on the sheep it, it crushes the sheep under the weight of the law without yeah. actually bringing in the gospel, right? It's saying, look, you need to look at yourself and you need to see how sinful you are and you need to, and, and yes, we need to recognize those things. But sanctification is a process. And I, I, I love what the Westminster Confession says here. You can read article, uh, this cha chapter 13, article two. I would read article one earlier, but article two and three are particularly what I want to read here. Article two says, this sanctification is throughout 
the is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And Article 3 says, In which war? That war between the flesh and the spirit in the believer. Although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I remember when I first read those words in mm-hmm. the confession, and I was struck because I'd never read anything like that before outside of scripture. Yeah. yeah. I'd always yeah. heard, well, if you, if you backslide, that's it. And, I, and what we're not trying to do is easy believism. Yikes. We're not, we're not giving away right. cheap grace to, to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? We're not talking about easy believism. We're not talking about antinomianism. Go pick up a copy of the whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. If you want a really good uh, primer on this, but, yeah. What we're saying, and the confession is saying, and, and it's citing scripture here, is that for a time, that remaining corruption may prevail. Like we may be really deep in sin as believers, as regenerate persons who trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yet, and this, this I'm, I'm getting like teary eyed reading it, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, not from looking at ourselves, right? Back to my pastor's sermon this morning. Honor Christ. Don't look yeah. at the threat. Don't look at yourself. Look at Christ, right? From the continual strength of the sanctifying spirit, the regenerate part overcomes. And again, it's not an excuse to sit in sin and wallow, but it's that we, when we recognize that we've backslid, when we recognize our, our sins, confess our sins one to another, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, because not because we've mustered up the strength to really live it out, but because we've looked to Christ because God is the just and the justifier because of Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And if we lose that, we've lost the script. And that, that's why Lordship Salvation is a problem because it takes that focus in a subtle way and it shifts it to, well, you better make him look like you better really evidence it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, right. <laughs> like yes, we have to be mortifying sin. We have to fight. But when we fall into sin or when a, a, another believer falls into sin, we need to come alongside and, and rebuke that sin. But encourage them, look to Christ for your, for your justification and sanctification. Because yeah. that's where good works flow from, not the other way around. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if we continue through the right. verses, I mean, it, <laughs> right. talks, it talks specifically about that, mm-hmm. right? The righteousness of God is being manifest apart from the law, mm. right? Mm. He separates the law and recognizes that the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he, he brings it kind of full circle there, right? He, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile in, in Christ, the law <clears throat> and, and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God, <laughs> but it's manifest apart from the law that distinctions are right. We distinguish, <laughs> Uh, my favorite Presbyterian phrase, we distinguish, right? Um, <laughs> but all of sin for, fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, mm. right? The grace, yes. by the way, is a gift. Mm. Our justification is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom put forward a propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. Mm. Right. Um, this was to show God's righteousness. Right. In his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Right. What was the Passover looking forward to? <laughs> mm. um, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier yes. of the one who has faith in Christ. He is both just and justifier. Right. His, his righteousness and his grace are what saves us. Can and our run, sin that yeah. we're all guilty of is, is passed over. Well, let's unpack that phrase a little bit there, just and justifier, right? Yeah. Because what, what's ha- what I think happens a lot, and we see this in the Marrow controversy back in the old day where, where the Marrow of Modern Divinity is written and what the whole Christ is written about. Mm-hmm. We see it in the Lordship Salvation. We see it in these things, right? So what does it mean that God is just and justifier? Right. right. What are those terms? And obviously we just talked to Matthew Barrett about simply Trinity and we've talked about the attributes of God. So this is all interconnected, right. but, but talk to us a little bit about that. God, what is it? What is it that he is just and the justifier? Yeah. Well, just what is just, right? right. It is correct. It is righteous. There's uh, an innocence uh, portion to it, right? It's a characteristic of God. It's one of his attributes. He's just, right? Um, he cannot exist with sin because he is just, he is the He's he's a judge, and a good judge is what is just, mm-hmm. right? So, um, it's it's a super important word <laughs> as far as what what God is. But because God is just, and because He's the only one who is actually just, truly just, sinless, yes, right, and and cannot abide with sin, so therefore He is just, and because He has declared what is right and what is wrong, He He, he can declare what is just and what is unjust. Yeah. Right. And because of because of the nature of God, and if we can go back and listen to our episodes on the attributes of God, because of God, who God is, he cannot be anything but just. Right. Right. Um, and that leads to being the justifier, right, to make and declare someone or something righteous. Mm-hmm. Right. If God defines what's just, he can then therefore de- declare what is justified. Right. He can make something justified according to his justice. Mm-hmm. So. Um, they flow out. They flow out of one another. In order to be a justifier, you must be just. And in order to be just, well, you must be God, right? If you're going to have true, pure, unbridled justness, yeah. To have justice, <laughs> to be a justifier, <laughs> right? Well, and also, this, uh, it can yeah. only exist with God. And this justification, as we talk about, mm-hmm. right, is according to Christ. It's even right. in the. It's subtle. It's just like leapt out at me when we were reading this. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Now, I think a lot in the contemporary church will read that and say, oh, great. Like, we're sa- it's the cheap grace again, right? It's like, oh, we're saved. Well, what is Passover? The innocent lamb is slaughtered and the blood is put over the doorpost so that the, the angel of death passes over because it accepts the sacrificial atonement, the propitiation in blood from the innocent on behalf of the guilty that are under that house, right? So what is it with us? God passed over our sins because the blood of Christ covers us, because the blood of the innocent one. And we talked about this in our inseparable operations episode, but I want to, and we've had some side conversations about this, but I want to cycle back to it for a second here. And that's not divine child abuse because for one, Christ volunteered, Right. Why do bad things happen to good people? To quote R.C. Sproul, that only happened once and he volunteered, right? Right. But beyond that, whose wrath was satisfied at the cross? Wasn't just the Father's. 
but the Holy right. Spirit and the sons because God is one because God acts inseparably. And so in the cross, only the son dies. And yet God, all three persons is satisfied in the sacrifice of the son. And so the son satisfies his own divine justice in the mm -hmm. cross. It's yeah. not as though we're talking about some divine cosmic child abuse. No, 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 no. Because the son is still executing that justice because God doesn't just say, you know, the, the legal fiction, right? God doesn't just say, well, you're, you're, you're forgiven. No, there still has to be a cost. <laughs> and Christ paid that cost willingly for his bride, for his, for his people. Right. Which and is this incredible. is why we call it substitutionary atonement. Right. Which this is, is so why it's likened, today. <laughs> right. But that's why it's so, so often been likened to, right, a, a judge in a courtroom, mm -hmm. right? A just judge is going to execute justice. He may forgive you, right. but he's still going to execute judgment mm -hmm. according to what is needed for payment. Right. And Christ steps in and pays that penalty for you so that you may walk free, mm -hmm. right? But his justice is still done. The justice needs to be yes. done uh, because God cannot abide with sin and sin is wickedness and it's, and it needs to be dealt with mm. sin and death need to be dealt with. Yes. And so God deals with it. <laughs> he doesn't need our help, <laughs> well, <laughs> but, but he provides a way out for yes. us. Um, mm. Makes and and be, because of all that, yeah. right. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? Mm. Come right? on. It's excluded. Yeah. You can't boast. <laughs> You've done nothing. Yes. Right. You you have yeah. done nothing. There is nothing that's in you. There's it's all God, right? His grace is a gift. Redemption's a gift. Faith yes. is a gift. It's all him. Right. This is why we talk about monergism. It is, um, uh, and we're not synergistic, right? We're, we're, we're monergistic. God is the one doing the work. He's done all the work. He does all the work. He's continuing to do the work. Mm. Right. Um, right. This is why it says work out your, your, your faith with, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God in you. Mm. Right, God is the one in us working this out, and we we are are justified um, by Him. So our boasting is entirely excluded, right? But what kind of law? By a law of works, no. But by the law of faith, right? We are now in faith. We have faith in Christ, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, mm. apart Come from on. the works of the law, right? <laughs> Rome has been destroyed uh, or <laughs> right. It is apart from the works of law that we are justified. <laughs> right. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Mm. <laughs> I love it. I just got all the no, noise. He's, <laughs> no, he's not only the God of the Jews. Yeah. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Of course, the Gentiles Amen. also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. And the uncircumcised through faith. Come on. Right? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. We uphold the law. And the only reason we can keep the law is because we have been saved by faith alone, apart from works. And then we are justified and then broken free from the bonds of sin, then able to finally do things that are pleasing to God by his gift of faith, by his gift of sanctification. All him. We're doing it to please him. And folks, that is it. No, I'm just kidding. It's all about Christ. That's it. That's the point. Wait, are it, you saying it's always been about Christ? <laughs> always has always been. Always has been. Oh, it's so good. Um, and I'm just getting hyped. I want to I want to read the justification article here from the Westminster because it's basically just summarizing Romans. Um, 
with a little bit of Corinthians and Jeremiah tossed in for some secret sauce here. But yeah. uh, <laughs> Westminster Confession of Faith 11, Article 1 of Justification. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, contra the papists, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience, obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is the gift of God. So, you know, Romans 3 on a, on a Sunday afternoon. It's casual. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's chill. Listen, we set us, we set aside the day for the works of the Lord, and here we are. Here we are. The Lord is, wor- <laughs> yeah, the, we, we're resting in his goodness and his grace. Um, Man, what a good chapter. It is. Just just amazing. We, dude, we read Romans 3 at 3 o'clock. Bro. Beautiful. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I, I'm not into numerology, but if I was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. That's not good. Uh, but what no. is good, Justin, why don't you tell the good people about some of the good things we have going on on our Patreon? Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Okay, guys, join our family. Our Distilling Theology family, listen, you can start at merely the cup, the cost of a cup of a Starbucks Frappuccino that you don't really need, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Um, (laughs) $4.99 a month, you get early releases, video streams, you get 10% off of our Distilling Theology store, right? You get this stuff immediately, live stream, unedited, it's lit, right? You get to see our faces. Uh, for better or for worse, well, you amen. get to see our faces. At $14.99 a month, you get all that, plus extra content, plus after three months, you get a Distilling Theology mug. Oh, Exclusive snap. to our patrons. We do have mugs on our store, but you can't get that mug there. You can only get it here. That's it. Uh, at $29.99 per month. This is and, brand uh, new, folks. Yeah, this is brand new. We've got some brand new levels here. You get all of that. Um, however, after three months, you get exclusive Distilling Theology Frosted Glencairn, the one that you could see right now if you were on Patreon, you'd be able to see this Frosted Glen right now. Um, the one I've been sipping out of today, it is really cool. You can check it out on our Facebook or our Instagram. Um, really, really cool. And if you decide to join us at $49.99 a month, our elite tier of family, <laughs> oh, uh, you get all of that, but you get a pair of these glens. Um, you will be the only people on earth with these glens. No one else would get them. And honestly, uh, they are my favorite. They're super cool. They're so good. Uh, They're really, really awesome. I love it. Plus, you'll get, again, more and more content coming for those people as well. You guys keep us afloat. Yes, sir. Keep us here. You are beloved by DT. (laughs) Amen. And a huge thank you to everyone who has already joined our Patreon, supported us at any level, but especially right now, I want to thank those that have jumped on those uh, $49.99 and $29.99 a month levels. I can't wait because in three months, we're going to be shipping some frosted Glencairn glasses. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm so excited for people to get those in their hands. It's amazing. And if you guys listen to this show and you wish you could have more shows like this, but probably without all the sound effects and whiz bang and nonsense, uh, head over to the Society of Reform Podcasts, a network of 
doctrinally sound podcast from a Reformed perspective. I'm not going to do the whole roll call, but you can find it for yourself if you go to reformedpodcasts.com. And if you head over there, you will also be able to subscribe to this mega feed, get all of these shows, uh, the entire back catalog. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. Uh, And I also highly recommend that you go and check out our giveaway again, distillingtheology.com slash giveaway. Reminder, folks, the giveaway closes this Friday, May 6th at midnight eastern time so hurry do not wait do not delay any moment uh there's also additional ways you can get more entries like coming back every day to check it out so the sooner you enter the better your opportunity of winning our grand prize a copy of matthew barrett's books simply trinity and none greater on the trinity and the attributes of god respectively and a pair of distilling theology glenn karen glasses or our second place winner the first time we've ever had two tiers uh who will win both books again, and a Distilling Theology mug. So you're not going to want to miss it. Guys, there are a lot of people already joining this giveaway. There are a ton of entries. Uh, So honestly, hop on it ASAP. Get your entries in. Uh, You'd be surprised who who will win. It's already increased by 20 people since we started recording. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's awesome. Praise the Lord. This is the Uh, way. This is the way. Speaking of growing and surprising people about things, Justin, if people want to help us grow our social media channel... Uh, and grow their social media uh, content that they get to see. Where can they go? <laughs> Y'all, on a roll although today. you may not be part of our immediate family on Patreon, you can always join our extended family on social media. Uh, we have a Facebook, of course, a page that you can like and a group that you can join. The group is lit. Uh, it, is. it is still, and I will, I will, this is a hill I will die on. It is the most sage stage reformed Facebook group on that website, period. Uh, join us. It is awesome. Uh, also, Instagram at Distilling Theology. Check us out there. Uh, you can actually see our products. You can see mm. books, recommendations, whiskey recommendations, this all kinds it. of good stuff there. Uh, whenever we do giveaways, you'll see stuff there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, check us out on Twitter. Um, at uh, Distilling uh, T. Yeah, Distilling T on our uh, on the new Freedom Twitter, uh, check us out. We are <laughs> we've actually been there. active. Yeah, we've it's been weird. active there uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't um, you so know? Check us out there. Um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, we have a YouTube channel, but I, I don't really. I mean, it's there. It's there, so we can stream. Basically, yeah. But if you want to subscribe to us, we'll, I mean, we'll post some stuff. That'd be cool from Why time not? to time. Yeah, because you know, I dare you. Because reasons. I dare you to do it. I dare you. You won't. A double dog dare you. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you won't go and join our Patreon. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you guys for hanging out. Thanks for listening to this episode. Obviously, we're fired up. Like, I don't know how I'm going to go on with the rest of my day because so hyped. Uh, But guys, whether you're hyped or not, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Solely do, Gloria. (laughs) 